Ireland has suffered its first major cyber attack. Significant damage has been inflicted on the country's health services by a group of Russian hackers. Could this incident have been prevented? Many would argue that it was entirely predictable. I'm John Mooney. Welcome to The Dark State. joined by Alan Lisker, a ransomware specialist at the American cyber security firm Recorded Future, and by Dr. Simon Woodworth of University College Cork. Gentlemen, welcome to The Dark State. I'm going to go to Alan first. Alan, can you explain what is ransomware and tell our listeners what you know about the Conti Group or Wizard Spider? Sure. Um, so ransomware is a type of network attack where a um, where an attacker infiltrates a victim network and then encrypts multiple multiple machines on the network it, it's evolved over time it started back in well the first ransomware attack was in 89 but sort of the modern ransomware t- attack started in 2015 or 16 as single computer attacks but they've morphed and evolved over time um, Conti is, uh, as you say, it's part of Wizard Spider, which means that it shares a little bit of code base with uh, the Ryuk ransomware. Um, and Conti is what's called a ransomware as a service. That means there's an actor that developed the ransomware, and then they rent out their, their ransomware infrastructure to other what they call affiliates um, who pay a fee to join in, and then the, the developers of the ransomware take a cut every time a ransom is paid. Um, and think of it like multi-level marketing for bad guys. Um, Conti has been very active since uh, February of 2020, um, and, and they've hit a lot of very big targets um, along the way, obviously, including uh, most recently the Ireland Health Services. Simon Woodworth, what is ransomware unique or is it novel? And was this particular attack novel? Well, the ransomware isn't unique. We've been aware of it for a couple of years with things like WannaCry and NotPetya, um, which actually, um, I think WannaCry hit colleagues of mine um, a a few years back and we managed to restore stuff from backup. But in this case, the Conti attack on the health service executive has been characterized as a zero-day exploit. Now, anybody in the business will know a zero-day exploit is an exploit that hasn't been seen before, which means the normal security companies won't have developed a fix for it or a response to it. Um, I don't know why they've characterized this as a zero-day exploit in that we haven't seen the evidence yet, but it does seem to have been a flavor of Conti that hasn't been seen in the wild before. Um, so, so this particular ransomware, um, even if the target, the health service executive, had been absolutely bang up to date with all their security measures, and they're not, which I suspect is something we'll discuss later, but even if they'd been bang up to date, more than likely part of their network at least would have suffered from the attack. I see. Can I just be clear about this? So Conti is the ransomware and the this group of people, uh, the Russians based around St. Petersburg, have developed this ransomware. So is it correct to say Wizard Spider rent this 
product, the software from the Conti Group and use it? How does that relationship work? Sure. Um, so it, that, that's a good way to phrase it is, um, <clears throat> so Wizard Spider is sort of a big spiraling group with a lot of, uh, well, legs, I guess, or tentacles. Um, tentacles doesn't really fit with the uh, <clears throat> with, with the spider analogy, but they, they have a lot of different, you know, malware and, and evil businesses that they're in. This is sort of one leg of that group. <clears throat> and so um, they, that, that particular group, uh, the, the ones that run Conti, report into sort of the main group up there. So you think of it like, uh, you know, any other kind of business with just different spinoffs, but the group that runs the subgroup of wizard spider that runs the Conti ransomware, they then rent out their infrastructure further to other unaffiliated bad guys who, um, want to get into ransomware, but don't have the technical skills or, I don't have the desire to build up their own ransomware infrastructure. How is it used to attack IT infrastructure? As you are aware, this particular software has been used to paralyze the Irish healthcare system. I mean, it, it is almost collapsed it. The cost of this is going is being put at tens of millions of euro. I would anticipate there is going to be huge litigation at the end of this in terms of patients whose data has been revealed uh, illegally to third parties. Uh, how is it actually used? How, how would they have penetrated the Irish healthcare system? So we, we don't know at this point how the infiltration happened. Uh, as Simon said, there's been talk of, of, of zero days. Um, that's uh, highly unusual for a ransomware group to use a zero day exploit for an attack. Most attacks happen either through phishing, um, through a phishing campaign, or through credential reuse on something like uh, an exposed remote desktop protocol server or something like that. Um, there are groups that like to use exploits, uh, but they tend to be well-known exploits um, with well-developed exploit code. Once the uh, and then there's also um, some ransomware actors will actually buy access. So there's a whole cottage industry, uh, malware industry that sprung up around ransomware actors, and one of those industries is what we call an initial access broker. People who do nothing but gain initial access in the networks then turn around and sell that access. So however the initial entry get, it happens, the ransomware actor gets into the the network. Then they start moving around the network looking to get to the domain controller and uh, uh, basically take control over everything in the network. They also spend time, as you pointed out, stealing files, and especially in healthcare providers, they love stealing patient files because you're exp uh, threatening to expose uh, patient files on an, a ransomware extortion site is much more likely to get them paid. Once they've stolen all the files they want and they have the accesses they need, they then often use the domain controller to push out their ransomware to hundreds or thousands of computers simultaneously. So they encrypt as much of the network as possible. Simon, what are your views on that? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one is um, you know, a few people here have asked, why did they attack the health services ex executive in particular? And the Register last Friday published the opinion that they felt that the HSE was an easy mark. 
Um, but the, the reason I'm asking the question now is in relation to something that Alan just said there about the value of the health records. Now, my understanding is if this attack happened in the U.S., and in fact attacks of this nature have happened several times in the U.S. on a, uh, a number of different hospital groups, that the health records themselves have quite a high monetary value in the U.S. market because of the price of health care there. And my understanding is one way of monetizing them is to fraudulently obtain high value, um, basically, health care services. Now, that doesn't work that way here in Ireland. We have a slightly funky two-tier health system. The bit that the HSE operates operates very much like a, pu- a public socialized health care system where we all pay um, um, in, in tax for it. And then there is a private healthcare system which we can pay private health insurance for, which a lot of us do. Now, that part of the health um, care system here hasn't been affected at all. So it's purely the public health care system. So um, going back again to something Alan said, probably the only way to monetize the health records here is through blackmail. Um, then... The problem is is that somebody's going to have to sit down and trawl through those records and look for something nice and juicy and blackmailable, which they need to do. And I'm sure somebody will, but I'm just trying to figure out in my head what the steps are in turning all this stolen data um, into money. Or, of course, they can hold out for a ransom from the health service executive, executive itself. Now, nobody has revealed the exact figure. The figure of $20 million has been uh, mooted, but um, the hard evidence for that doesn't exist. Um, Anybody who's commented on it from the health service has said that figure is incorrect, but presumably it is a multiple of millions of dollars. Um, Despite the fact that we operate in euro in this country, they seem to be looking for it in dollars. So... It's it's going to be interesting, and maybe interesting is the wrong word, um, given the catastrophic side effects of all of this, but it will be interesting to see how they plan to actually turn this into income. And one striking thing that I've noticed is because I've been looking at the Conti website on the dark web since Saturday and checking it a couple of times a day, um, whoever's been using the Conti ransomware recently has been very active. There's been a bunch of attacks since the attack on the health services executive, including a couple that were added, a few that were added today. But as yet, the health service executive data or any indication that the HSE was attacked has not appeared on that site. So I guess at the moment there may be negotiations going on um, while the public position is that the government and the health service executive won't pay the ransom. I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some back channel discussion going on to see what they, whether they can negotiate the ransom down to a reasonable level or, you know, seek some other remedy. Alan, you've a lot of experience in this field. Do, do you believe there would be there is likely to be back channeling going on to this particular group by the Irish government? I should state state that the Irish government has categorically stated it will not be paying any ransom to these criminals. But I can't help but wonder if there are efforts being made in the background. Would you have any knowledge or opinion on this? So I don't have any first hand knowledge. Anything I I have is speculation, but. In a ransomware attack this bad, there's almost always some sort of negotiation that goes on in the background. Generally, though, 
not between the uh, the the victimized organization and the um, and the ransomware actors. So just as I, I mentioned, the sort of cottage industry that struck stuck up on the the malware side to support ransomware actors. On the defender side, there's also been this cottage industry of different uh, groups that have come up, including ransomware negotiators. So while the Irish government or the, the healthcare system may not be negotiating directly with the ransomware actors, they may, their insurance companies, um, they may have hired a company that is attempting to do some negotiation um, on their behalf. That way they can issue true statements that we're not negotiating but at the same time, they can potentially keep uh, victim data, uh, uh, patient data from being exposed on the extortion site. Um, that will only go so far if the ransomware actors feel like they're being uh, fooled with. They're going to um, they're going to publish the stolen data. Um, and, and I'll often say that I'll say that often having the negotiators in there is actually a really good, good idea. Because I know if it was my company or it was my hospital and I was in charge with negotiating, I wouldn't be able to remain calm about it. Um, as you know, and I won't share the words I use on Twitter <laughs> here on uh, the podcast, I have a very low opinion of ransomware actors in general, but especially ransomware actors that go after healthcare providers. And what usually happens in that situation? You have a third party acting as a back channel to these criminals. Do, is an arrangement reached whereby money is funneled to them or is there some sort of agreement reached whereby, I, I don't know, is there some sort of payment, could there be some payment made that is ancillary to maybe lessen the impact of this hack? What 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 could happen if that is taking, indeed taking place? I'm, sa- I'm asking the question in the knowledge that there doesn't seem to be any leak of information just yet. And I, I think that's uh, noteworthy. I'm also very conscious of the fact that certainly some reports in the Irish media seem to suggest that this group never ever uh, release stolen data onto the in on into on the dark net instead that they sell it to other criminals which sounded a little odd to me yeah so conti does in fact release data they do have an extortion site um so so and simon pointed out that nothing's been posted yet so so they do do that their sister group reif um uh they are the ones who also who are also part of wizard spider they're the ones that don't have an extortion site. If they steal data, they generally are selling it to somebody. We don't know who, um, but, but they're generally selling it or delivering it to somebody on, on their behalf. And the way the negotiations usually work, because ransom demands have gotten exorbitant um, as the ransomware attackers have, got, have been emboldened over the last couple of years. Most organizations don't have $5 million or $10 million or $20 million in Bitcoin sitting around. Um, so the, often the negotiators or the insurance company will be the one paying the ransom because they have those wallets set up and can do that. It takes a really long time for an organization that's not prepared for one of these attacks to get a $5 million or $10 million worth of Bitcoin acquired and ready to the point where they can do that. So often the negotiator not only will 
um, not only will uh, negotiate to get a lower ransom payment, but then they'll also make the ransom payment. Simon, is there an argument for banning the payment of extortion demands, as has been suggested by the US authorities? Alan, I'll go to you on the same question in a moment, but Simon, could you give me your views on that? This is a really tough one, um, John, and um, I understand the reasoning behind the argument for banning. It's really because we want to pull the rug out from underneath the economic model for this. Every time somebody pays a ransom, it is only going to um, you know, give them the financial incentive to do it again. Um, and so... Um, I guess imposing a ban, I mean, what are they going to do? Introduce legislation. Um, and that would have to be done across multiple jurisdictions because this has happened in Ireland, it's happening in the US, all over Europe and other parts of the world. That the only way you could enforce a ban is introduce legislation everywhere. So um, whether they should or they shouldn't, I, I can I just see enforcing a ban being very, very difficult. This issue has come up before with kidnap and whether kidnap insurance is a good thing or not. And there's specialist companies that deal with kidnap management and insurance. Um, I think I will go as far and say that I think in this case, the health services executive should do its very best not to pay the ransom. Um, now that that's going to cause two problems for them. One is the recovery of the data, and the other one then is the publication of the data, um, which is possibly something we can discuss a bit later. Um, and I'm going to um, maybe hand over to Alan for another opinion on this one here. Yeah. So I I I agree with everything Simon said. Um, it it is impractical to put out a law banning ransom payments. Um, I also agree that I wish nobody would ever pay a ransom, right? But I also know that it's not a security decision entirely. Like if it was just a security decision, the answer would always be no. But you have to think about the bigger impact to the organization or the business and what the right move is entirely for the business. But, but to get to Simon's point, let's say that you got 130 countries to agree to enact laws to say, no, we're not going to pay a ransom. You know you'd have an insurance company or a negotiator that would set up uh, uh, an office or you know incorporate in that 131st country, and then the 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 you know the victims could say we didn't pay the ransom. This organization in this country that doesn't have that rule paid the ransom, and all we did was write them a check for services rendered. Can I ask both of you about the possibility that this group may be working for a third party, as in possibly a state? Simon, do you have any opinions on this? I I have an opinion, but no evidence to back it up. And I have to be honest and say that as this has developed since last Thursday night, and of course this is a very fast-moving scenario, my, my views have probably shifted slightly. Um, one thing that's striking uh, is that it's been made clear from the start that this was a zero-day exploit and that this is an attack of some sophistication in that the Conti ransomware is human-operated, so it requires a skilled team of hackers to push the ransomware into the victim system. And we also know that they were actually present in the target systems um, for a week or two in advance of the actual attack. 
So there's a degree of sophistication involved, and I would imagine that the demands and resources are quite high as well. So why I don't think it was necessarily directly state-operated, I do wonder two things. One, was it done with resources perhaps funneled from a state somehow? And the second thing was, in terms of motive, um, is whether this is a proof-of-concept attack where because the HSE in this case is a very diverse range of information systems and computers and networks, you're talking about 2,000 distinct systems, and then with multiple entry points, that it was just too tempting a target to resist for a group that wanted to sharpen their skills on a diverse target. So I would not rule out state resourcing perhaps indirectly of this, given the the scale of the attack and with the speed at which with which it finally actually took everything down. Have this group been previously linked to the Russian state or other uh, hostile states that would have a gripe with Europe um, or particularly uh, well, Ireland in this case? So there are no official links, but there's always that conversation um, uh, about the, in Russia in particularly, in particular, the fluidity of actors between nation state acting and cyber criminal activity. Um, in other words, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I work for the Russian government. Tuesday, Thursday, I freelance doing whatever I want. Um, we certainly have seen some evidence of that, not necessarily with this group, but with other types of Russian cyber criminal activity. Um, one thing I'll say is these ransomware attacks have gotten very sophisticated. But you also have to remember, so Conti, for example, um, over the last year since they became active, have hit at least 250 victims that we know of, and that number is probably higher. They have a lot more experience. The, the, the people behind Conti have a lot more experience um, with hands-on keyboard-type attacks than most nation-state actors have. So a lot of what they've learned, they've learned by trial and error, but they've gotten to learn a lot because they've been in a lot of different and varied networks. So certainly the attacks are very sophisticated, but part of that sophistication just comes from the fact that they've done so many of these attacks at this point. In in essence, you were saying this particular group are very experienced at what they do and possibly, dare I say it, the world leaders in it. Right, exactly. Is there any point in the Irish government applying pressure on the Russian Federation to take action on this? I'm saying that in the knowledge that uh, Russia's intelligence services all often work hand in glove with these criminal organizations and use them as proxies to carry out attacks on their behalf. I think there is. Um, I think, I don't know what the right sanctions are because I'm not an international whatever expert. Uh, international relations experts, um, but there is value in figuring out ways to put pressure because if the Kremlin doesn't want these uh, uh, ransomware actors to operate, they can shut them down. There's a reason why there are specific rules in every major ransomware strain to not go after Russia or Russian-aligned countries. They look for language packs, they look for IP addresses, they look for keyboard layouts, and if they see anything that could be Russian, they won't attack um, because nobody wants to be on the Kremlin's bad side. 
So if you can find the right pressure, the right levers, you could use that as, as you know, to stop these attacks. Simon, do you have any opinion on that? Well, we could start by asking nicely for help and see where that goes and then maybe escalate if, if escalate if needs be. Um, the, the reason I suggest asking nicely for help is that maybe going in ac- accusatory, and I'm not familiar with it, um, particularly familiar with international relations either. Um, I... Um, um, and, and just see where it leads us, because the Russians will just deny everything. Of course, if unless they can produce solid evidence that the attack originated from some a group that pro- probably had state support of some sort, um, I'm not sure how we're going to get leverage over the Russians on this one. Um, it might upset them if we expelled a few people from the country, perhaps. But um, then getting them to cooperate afterwards could be tricky. I, I did have an idle and slightly trivial thought that maybe we should just plant a bunch of Russian computers in our network or computers configured with Russian language options and see if that scares off the hackers in future. Alan, do you know if other countries have uh, approached the Russian Federation seeking assistance on these matters and if that has actually worked? Um, so it, it has not worked with Russia so far. Um, I do like the idea of planting a bunch of Russian keyboards in the networks. I think <laughs> everyone should do that. Um, um, but, uh, but no, so far nobody has found the right levers to, to make it work. And so I think, for example, what we're trying in the United States is expanding beyond you know, Russian leadership to some of the Russian business leaders and putting sanctions in place there in the hopes that they'll put pressure on Putin. Um, I, again, I don't know what the right answer is, but I do think there is some some possibility there. Alan, on that note, what, what is the age profile of people, of those who are involved in these hack attacks? Uh, are they young men? Are they young women? Are they people of all different backgrounds and skills? So we do think that they're mostly men in their late 20s to early 30s. Um, every time that we see one of these ransomware actors actually captured, they tend to be men in their, in their 30s. Um, so that, that, that seems to be about right. And that's, that's what we're, you know, that's what we suspect is happening. Can I ask both of you for your opinions on the following? Is Ireland likely to see future attacks? And I'll, or Simon, I'll actually go to you first on this. Um, and I'm, bear, I'm, I'm kind of noting for the listeners that we are now a sort of a, a center of operations for technology companies and many U.S. companies and uh, have their European headquarters in Dublin. Uh, yet we have a very uh, precarious cyber defense system in place. Simon, are we likely to see more of this? Will the, f- the very fact that this actually happened encourage other groups to suddenly start tar- targeting Ireland? Um, John, the short answer is yes. Um, whether the, the current attack acts as an encouragement or motivation for other groups to try or not, I don't know. But as you've already pointed out, Ireland is the centre of so many high-tech um, IT companies. And for people who are listening to this who are not from Ireland, really, list any of the major information technology companies that are based in the US or, South, or Southeast Asia or China. And certainly the US ones are all 
here. So Facebook, PayPal, eBay, Apple, and, and Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, and so on. And they've been based here for quite a while, um, partially because of favorable tax regime, also because data centers are relatively easy to build here because of the temperate weather. You don't get extremes of climate and air conditioning isn't such a big requirement. Um, as a result of which they're talking about by 2030 that 29% of national grid output will be consumed by data centers all over the country. Um, so it, it's a very tempting target. And for reasons best known to itself, the Irish government has been very light touch in a couple of things. One is some of the regulation of some of those companies themselves on data retention and privacy. And the other one is, is the policy on cybersecurity seems to be either not well thought out or just not very well implemented. Other groups may be looking at what's happened here with the, what the wizard spiders have done, and they might go, well, as the register put it last Friday, Ireland is an easy mark. And um, if I was criminally minded, I would be thinking along the same lines and say, look, let's just be opportunistic and start working our way through a list of targets in Ireland to see what we can pick off. Alan, you've an awful lot of experience in this field. What are your opinions on that? I'm always very interested to hear an external view of these affairs that, are, that impact on Ireland. Yeah. So back in November, Microsoft issued warning that Ireland was potentially a big target for ransomware attacks. So, you know, it, it's been known for a while um, that, that Ireland, you know, had the potential to be hit. And we know that, uh, for example, the National College of Ireland was hit with a ransomware attack. TU Dublin was hit with a ransomware attack. Uh, so there have already been these ransomware attacks um, in Ireland already. Um, and I think they're going to pick up and they're going to continue to grow. Um, and so I think it's one of those things kind of like in the United States where we just had the attack on the colonial pipeline um, and everybody has known for years how vulnerable our pipeline infrastructure is. And it was just kind of dumb luck that nobody had hit a pipeline until now. I think, unfortunately, that was that that was kind of the case where there's a lot of vulnerable systems in Ireland and it's just been fortunate that uh, nobody has really concentrated on Irish targets until possibly now. Is the very fact that this attack has been so successful, is that likely to send word out to other cyber criminal groupings or even state actors that Ireland is a soft touch and that it may be worthwhile targeting it for all sorts of reasons? Absolutely. So Ransomware actors are nothing if not copycats. We saw this with um, hospitals. Um, you know, hospitals in general have been a target for ransomware actors uh, during the pandemic. Um, and, and at the start of the pandemic, you had a whole bunch of ransomware actors who said, oh, no, no, we would never touch a hospital. Um, but, of course, ransomware actors are lying, thieving, whatever term you want to use, Um uh, and as soon as they saw how easy it was to hit them and how likely they were to pay during a pandemic when they had, you know, all these COVID-19 patients, um, 
immediately everybody jumped on the hospital, uh, uh, you know, jumped and started going after hospitals. We see this time and time again. We've seen this in the last six months with manufacturing. Once a couple of ransomware actors have figured out how easy it is to go after manufacturers, they started doing that um, in mass. And we saw a huge uptick in uh, manufacturing uh, uh, being targeted by ransomware actors. So yes, um, you know, now that this has been successful, it is entirely likely that other ransomware actors will uh, will will look for tar- soft targets in Ireland. Simon, what are your views on that? Well, I agree entirely with Alan. I, I think both of us, and I think Alan probably has far more expertise on this than I do, I think both of us are pretty much in agreement, and other commentators are in agreement as well. I go back to the register that Ireland will be perceived as an easy mark. But if I can expand just on this a little bit, um, I think we're in this sorry mess to some degree because of government policy flaws in that cybersecurity has generally been underinvested in this country. And then in particular with the health service executive, their, their IT systems themselves have been underinvested. And briefly, the turnover of the HSE this year, or rather the cost of running the HSE this year, is €20 billion. Euro. And the industry norm for an IT budget for an organization of that size would be anywhere between about 400 million and and 1.2 billion euro. And within that, a security budget would probably come in between 12 and 36 million euro and probably at the higher end being realistic. And in fact, the IT budget for the health services executive is 120 million euro this year with a specific project allocation for perimeter security for 2 million euro. So obviously the funding of IT in general and security in particular is far below industry norms. Now these are public figures. This is no secret. So again, a skillful hacker could research this and decide, look, we're looking at a country that doesn't take cyber security seriously. The, the government um, has underinvested. The government isn't willing to, you know, fill the positions that are needed um, to mount a proper cybersecurity defense that any any good hacker will or or a group of hackers will have a look at the underinvestment in cybersecurity in Ireland and the specific underinvestment in the health service executive and then decide that, that we're an easy mark. And one of the things that really bothers me um there's been a huge amount of discussion in the last few days on the technical aspects of this ransomware attack. And it's, it's quite entertaining in some respect to listen to this because on the lunchtime news here in Ireland, they were going into quite a lot of detail about what was going on um, with the actual attack and the response to it. But I think the more important conversation has to be around government policy and where investment in the state happens into both into IT services and our state services, but also into cybersecurity in general across the country. Um, So until that happens, um, I think we're going to be seen as an easy mark for some time. And I think that's a really, really bad look for a country that is so keen to attract high-tech companies. I mean, for example, um, um, Apple's first major manufacturing site outside the United States was established in my home city of Cork back in the late 1970s. And Apple still employs about 7,000 people, which in a city of a population of about 230,000 
is a substantial employment. So we're very dependent on this industry. You know, wouldn't it make sense to take seriously the security of everything related to that industry? Could I ask both of you about the national security implications for this attack? And Alan, I'm really interested to hear your views uh, on this issue because the American authorities uh, now regard ransomware as a national security threat. It, it, it's not simply a criminal matter anymore. Simon, do, do you think there are national security implications to this attack? I do. I, I think there are national security um, implications. I presume the general health and safety of our population and the well-being of our population is a national security concern. And this is where I think there's another flaw in thinking at policy level, that people have not made the connection between the in- information systems used in the health service and the well-being of the people who are being treated through the same health service. And that applies across other businesses as well. You can't just look at the IT in isolation. You have to look at the people it impacts and the services um, that are delivered. So, for example, the Colonial Pipeline resulted on gas shortages on the East Coast, and we ha- and we saw crazy pictures of people trying to buy big plastic bags full of gasoline and put it in the trunk of their cars. Um, Similarly here, we're starting to get human stories about people who can't get in for their cancer treatments. Um, so if what actually happened is it's not just simply a whole bunch of desktop PCs being shut down. The health service executive has been deprived of its ability to conduct its business, which is making people better and treating them. And as a result, those people may suffer. So, and a, a large chunk of the population might suffer. I think that has to be a national security concern. I also think that the economic damage that if a tire t- attack was targeted differently, maybe the high tech sector would be substantial. And that also has to be a national security concern. And I'm not doom mongering here, but somebody has to think through the sequence of events that's going to follow from a major chunk of our economy or a public service sector being taken out of commission to the detriment of our economy and our population. Alan, what are your views on that? So I agree with everything Simon said. Um, I I know it's probably not as exciting a, uh, an interview if the two hosts or two guests just agree with each other all the time. Um, But, but, but I mean, you know, Simon made really good points, you know, and I think a large part of this goes back to, Something that we've in security, we in the security vendor community have made as a mistake from the beginning. We have always, and, and Simon pointed this out earlier, we've always identified security spend as being part of the IT budget. So when you then think of a cybersecurity attack, well, that's an IT problem. It's not. It's a risk problem. It's a company problem. It, you know, it, you know, the, the, it, it expands far beyond IT. And I think nations are just now grasping that concept that, that these, even though they are cyber criminal attacks, there is real risk to the nation because of these, uh, because of these attacks. So yeah, with the colonial pipeline attack, we now see that there's a real risk from a ransomware attack to our, uh, you know, to our infrastructure. I mean, there have been people who have been talking about it for years and years, but now we have a real, a real life example of this happening. Same thing with healthcare. I know just last year, uh, uh, German prosecutors 
tried to bring on a uh, tried to bring a case against the ransomware actor because a patient died because they couldn't get help they couldn't get help because the hospital that she was being transported to was under ransomware attack and they had to redirect her to a different hospital. Um, so there are real live issues at this. And yes, healthcare is one of them. But what is your infrastructure look like? So if your healthcare isn't properly secured, what is your oil and gas infrastructure look like? What is your water infrastructure look like? Your other utility infrastructure? Um, we've seen attacks on, um, on, on subway systems and on train systems. What if you stop transportation because of your attacks? Uh, the, the La Pecha attack that took down port companies, that took down shipping companies so that they couldn't ship and, and delayed that activity for, for weeks. You know, these are real national emergencies that can be, you know, that can be disrupted or, or national um, security uh, in, in situations that can be disrupted because of a ransomware attack. I'm going to conclude this podcast by asking you both for your opinions. And I'm not trying to put both of you on the spot. But what do you think is about is likely to happen now with this? Will this be solved? Will there be some uh, ransom payments funneled to this group? Does the Irish state have the ability, the resources or, or the wherewithal, or indeed the intent to harden its system and its defences against these sort of attacks. And Simon, I'll let you go first, and then I'll come to Alan and allow him to have the last word. Okay, there there are several questions there, John. So will they pay the ransom or not? I don't know. I do know from listening to the news today, and I haven't received any particular inside information um, today about what's going on, that they, they seem to be building confidence that they might actually have some backups that will actually help them get back on their feet. So that would narrow the problem down to what to do about the published data. So then the government has to decide, well, do we pay the ransom so everybody's data stays secure or do we let somebody go to the bother of wading through it to see who they can blackmail and deal with it on a case-by-case basis? The optimist in me would like to see some extra money being allocated to this um, possibly to set up a decent crime task force to see if they can nip any blackmail attempts in the bud very, very quickly. And what I would also like to see at the next national budget, which will be later this year, is that they start to funnel serious money into cybersecurity. My concern is is that until something bad like this happens, this really isn't something that bothers the, partic- you know, the average voter. Um, it's not the sort of thing that they bring up with their TDs, which are members of parliament on their doorstep. And uh, there's an expression that eating bread is soon forgotten, that this will slowly die down over the summer and everybody will go back to what they're doing. I really, really hope that doesn't happen because I don't think we can afford to let it happen. Um, So I am sort of crossing my fingers and hoping that government thinking on this is going to change a little bit. Just before Alan comes in there, Simon, when you say blackmail attempts at people whose data might be compromised, just explain what how could someone be blackmailed um, uh, from the, the release of such information? 
Well, I suppose you could go on the embarrassment factor, like maybe somebody's got a you know sexually transmitted infection that they don't want anybody to know about, especially not their wife or husband or partner or whatever, um, and that they might find that extremely embarrassing, especially if they're in a public position or a position of seniority in a company. Um, that they would be subjected to blackmail. Now, um, I, I think I would have to say I really, really hope the HSE doesn't pay the ransom. But then the concern has to be how do we, what can we do to protect those people from blackmail? And is there any way we can maybe weather the storm for the next 12 months or so and just shut down those blackmail attempts as quickly as they pop up? Or we could just see how many of them pop up. Alan, I'll allow you to have the last word. So uh, I'm not an expert in Irish politics, and so I'm not going to be able to effectively comment on, you know, how and and what should be done. What I'll say is I do hope they don't pay the ransom. It sounds like, um, as Simon said, they're working toward getting restored from backup, and I hope that is the case. Um, I do think that any national strategy towards cybersecurity needs to have a, a short-term, a long-term, and an interim plan. Ransomware attacks aren't going away. You know, we, we, we've seen because, in part because of the attack on the colonial pipeline and now this attack, we've seen a whole lot of upheaval in the ransomware industry in general over the last couple of days. That is a very short-term uh, 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 situation. In the long-term, there will continue to be ransomware attacks. So even if the government does ramp up to the point of um, uh, of being able to implement better cybersecurity practices and techniques, those take a long time to put in place. You need to have something that you can do in the short term. Um, so one of the things that I'm a big fan of is there's a lot of technical expertise and a lot of cybersecurity expertise in Ireland. Um, I highly recommend putting together uh, uh, short-term incident response teams that can help if there is a surge in ransomware attacks that can help these companies respond to the attacks so they don't have to pay the ransom. Um, because a lot of times you get hit with a ransomware attack and you um, are completely disrupted. Uh, you're, 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 you don't know what to do. You're flummoxed and you're confused. You need to have people who can come in and help you and advise you and move you forward. Otherwise, you're definitely more inclined to pay the ransom. And that concludes this special episode. I would like to thank Alan Liska and Dr. Simon Woodworth for providing expert analysis on this matter. Please do join us next week for another episode of The Dark State.